pray together. Lord, we just want to take a moment to invite you to, uh, to again, pour your spirit out upon this, your people. Lord, help us to have ears to hear your words, maybe in a fresh way, maybe for the first time. Lord, we ask that you would soften hearts, that you'd reveal yourself. And Father, that we would give you the honor that you deserve. Thank you for your indescribable gift to us on that very first Christmas in Jesus. May be seated. Now, did you notice that um, John is is one of the the four gospel writers, the four biographies of Jesus that we have that doesn't talk about the birth story of Jesus, right? I mean, that's, if you're a churchgoer, especially at Christmas, we usually read from either Matthew, which talks about the, the dream that God gave Joseph, and, and it mentions the birth of Jesus, and then about how they had to run off to Egypt to, to escape King Herod. Or, or we usually read from Luke, and Luke tells the full story about everything that happened and the angel coming to Mary and Joseph thinking that he might leave her and God said no and they go off to Bethlehem and it's the whole story. But but Mark doesn't mention it. Mark just jumps right into telling the ministry of Jesus. But John is different. And, and, and John, it's like John wants to back up and he's very thoughtful about what he says, and it's like he wants you to know why. He wants to, to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and, and give a glimpse into why Jesus came and, and who he is. And so he goes about it very differently. And, and that's, he probably does that because of who John is. You know, John was one of the... Twelve apostles of Jesus. He, he followed Jesus, lived with him for three years. And we find out that he was probably Jesus' best friend. He knew Jesus extremely well. So well that when Jesus was on the cross and he's, he's about to die, and he, he, it says he looks down and he sees his mother Mary standing next to his best friend John. And it says when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, and that's John. He said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. He was telling his mother to look at John as as a son, which says that Jesus looked at John as a brother. And And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. In other words, he's taking care of of Mary. John was that close to Jesus 
that Jesus entrusted his mother into John's care. And it says, and from then on, this disciple took her into his home. So from somewhere around the year 33 A.D., John has taken Mary into his house and he calls her mom. That's how close they were. John looked in the tomb on Easter morning. He outraced Peter to get there. And it says that John believed. John was, might, might have been the only one of those original disciples who, who actually, before he saw Jesus after the, the resurrection, he, he had a hunch. He, he looked in and, and might have seen what's going on. And that night, he saw Jesus with the other disciples in the upper room. Jesus appeared, and and he had breakfast with Jesus on the beach, and he spent the next six weeks with Jesus. Jesus was there for 40 days, so almost six weeks. And he spent that time, John spent that time with Jesus. And John came to be known as one of the pillars of the early church. He was known as one of the three mainstays of the early church. He He was a rock star. If you were a Christian, if you had heard of Jesus and and come to believe in Jesus and you met John, John was somebody that you wanted, you just wanted to sit down and, you know, can I buy you some Starbucks and will you tell me some stories? You know, I, I mean, I've heard about Jesus, but you were there. You saw this. And, and John was, almost certainly asked lots and lots and lots and lots of questions over and over. Can you imagine what it would be like John telling these same stories over and over? And so from the mid-30s up for the next 50 years, John is a pillar of the early church, and he has seen some dark times. He saw... That Jesus' followers be persecuted, be kicked out of their homes, be hunted, be killed. He had friends who were put to death, executed by the government. Peter and and Paul being two of the examples. The other disciples who, who were the original apostles sent out to talk about Jesus, they'd all died by the time... John probably wrote this gospel. And he's an old man when he sits down to write it. And it's, it's, he knows this is going to be one of the last things he does. And, and, and I don't know what was going through his mind, but I wonder if it's, you know, I don't have much time left. Uh, in fact, they had tried to kill John already. They put John in a big cauldron of boiling oil. To try and kill him. And it didn't. For whatever reason. But he probably bore the scars from that. He probably knew his time wasn't long. And and so when he sits down to write an account. A a biography of of Jesus. Like like nobody else could write. it, It seems like he really took his time. And with all the perspective that he had. Of those 50 years. 
he started choosing his words. I mean, he had seen things that, darkness that, that might overwhelm you. I don't know what your life has been like. It, you may have had some hard times. You may be in them now, but John, John had seen them. John was not only on the most wanted list because he was a Christ follower. Like I said, he'd seen friends and neighbors die, be put to death. Uh, we don't know if he was in Jerusalem when Jerusalem was overrun by the Roman army to quell a rebellion in 70 A.D. But it says a million Jewish people were killed when that happened. Before the, the Romans rushed and, and, and went through and broke through into the town, they had built a wall around and they'd, they'd uh, cut off the city. And, and we know that people were starving inside. John, John probably knew him. I don't know if he was there. He might have been there, but we don't know. And plague would break out. Diseases, when you, they, they break out and you're in close proximity and you don't have access to good food and medical treatment, just it, it ravages the people. And not only when the army broke through did a, did a million Jews die, they took several hundred thousand into slavery. And they swept the temple, the, the center of Jewish life, from the top of the mountain and, and pushed all of the building blocks over the side. They tore the whole thing completely down after they burned it. And the nation was a nation no more. The people, those that survived, ran for their lives. They were scattered. John ended up in Ephesus with Mary. And evidently lived there, and he was living there when he wrote this gospel. That's what we think. But when he decided to write down this account of the life and the death and the resurrection, he didn't start with an angel coming to a young girl, which is kind of surprising because he lived with the woman who had been that young girl. How many times had John heard that story? I mean, as well as Luke researched everything and wrote it down, John, I'm sure, knew details that Luke hadn't heard. And if John's a rock star, what about the mother of Jesus? <gasps> You're Mary? Oh, I have questions for you. What was he like growing up? What, what was it like when the angel came? How did you feel? What was it like when people were looking at you? You know, I mean, they knew you were pregnant and, you know, they think you're crazy. What was that? Tell me about it. Tell me, did you actually ride a donkey going down to, to Bethlehem or, you know? I mean, what kind of stories had John heard over the, the 30, 40, 50 years that he had Mary in his house? And with Mary in his house, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He doesn't start with her bewildered fiancé. He doesn't start with angels talking to shepherds and shepherds coming in and, oh, Mary, what did that smell like, you know? He didn't start with wise men from the east, a baby in a manger. He, it's like he wanted to give the big picture just right up front. 
He's not going to have many more chances to tell people. And, and he, he wants them to know. It's like, okay, if you don't read the other chapters, if you read this one, I want you to know up front what I know. And this is how he started. He said, in the beginning, the word, and he, later on he, he says that's Jesus. In the beginning, the word, Jesus, already existed. The, the word was with God, and, and the word was God. Just in that first sentence, he, he wants you to know, I lived with him for three years. I, I, I've had his mother living with me as my mother for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I'm convinced after seeing him die and burying him, and seeing him again alive, and I touched his scars, and I, he cooked me breakfast. I'm convinced he's God, and you need to know. He says, he existed in the beginning with God. and God created everything through him. And just to make sure you get the point, nothing was created except through him. The word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. You wouldn't be here, I think John would say, except that Jesus created you and gave you life. John believed that Jesus was God. John believed that Jesus is the reason you're alive. John believed that Jesus also was a message. He calls him the Word. Jesus came in order to communicate something. In fact, Jesus didn't come just to do it. Jesus was the communication itself. Jesus embodied and acted out what God wanted to say. That means that more than anything, God wants to communicate. God wants you to know. God wants you to hear. God wants you to know him. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to be known. And Jesus is that message to you and me. Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians. He said, Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. What does God think about people like me? Well, let's look at Jesus. What did he say? What did he do? With people like you and me. Jesus is the message. Jesus is the the revealing of God. If you have any questions about who God is, look at Jesus. Now, Now, some of you have come here tonight, and it may not have been your intention to come to church. But whoever you're staying with or whoever's family you're, you're with, they're going to church and so you're here. Um, or you just figured, well, 
it's been a while. Maybe I'll go. I'll just go ahead and go. It's Christmas, you know. It's what you do on Christmas. And you may be here and you may not be sure who God is. I mean, there are so many religions. And they say different things about God. I mean, how can you know? And I think John would say Jesus came to clear up that confusion. Jesus is the message of who God is. If you want to know about God, look at him. Listen to him. You, you might have come in tonight and for whatever reason you're mad at God or you're distant from God or you think that God is distant from you. At least the God that you've been told to believe in. I mean, you, you may think that, you know, people have told you God hates certain kinds of people. And the people that God hates are always different from the people that are telling you about it. Or, or, or you may have been told, they wouldn't use these words, but you may have been told by somebody that, in essence, God is so codependent that he's willing to give you anything you want so that you'll love him. Right? I mean, God answers all, all prayers, doesn't he? And, and you've prayed, and it hadn't happened that way. Or, or you may see God as, as kind of the watchmaker God, the God that put it all together. And it's amazing how we put all of this together. And, you know, ostriches and, and whales and trees and you and me, and he put it together and wound it up, and it's just doing its thing, and who knows where God is. And I think John would say, well, maybe God isn't like any of that. Maybe, maybe God really is like Jesus. Why don't you look at Jesus to know who God is? Does the God that you've been told to believe in act like Jesus? If not, I think John would say, then you haven't been told about the God that I know. Look at him. He's the one that brings God into focus. John may have, you know, he's writing that. He's just a few sentences in and he may have paused and, and thought to himself, but it's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's, it's better than that. There's more than that. He gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. His life brought light to everyone. You don't just exist because he thought you up. You aren't just alive because he gave you life. He's given you light. Now, before I was married, I used to go caving a lot. I don't know if y'all have ever been caving. Caving is spelunking. Caving is, you know, wear nasty clothes because you're about to get really muddy and dirty. And you have to carry your, your headlight and your flashlight and backup batteries and all to go with you. And you go in a cave. There were some really cool caves up in North Georgia. And uh, so I've been in those, been in Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And all, but you go in these caves, and you can go hundreds of feet underground level. And, and way back, sometimes for miles back, in a cave, way under. 
and, and we would gather our group together and we'd always have a time where we'd turn off all of our lights. And you have never seen dark that dark. It's so dark. I mean, it's like it has weight. I could feel it on my skin. It presses against my face and, and, and hands and it just lays itself down on my shoulders. It's so dark. You know, and, and somebody would say, especially if there's somebody new in, in the group, hey, put your hand in front of your face. Can you see it? And, and you think that you could, but it's your mind. Your mind's playing tricks on you. You really can't. And, and you figure that out after somebody else puts their hand in front of your face and you didn't see it. All right, it is dark under there. And then we have one person turn on a small light. Just a little light. And guess what? It made all the difference. Made all the difference. No matter how big a chamber you could be in. And they have chambers bigger than this room. Down underground. And no matter how big that chamber was, when somebody turned on that light, you could see. It seemed so bright. And you could not only see where you were in relation to that light, you could see where everybody else was. You could see... That's the dangerous part. And if you fell off of there, it might be a while before you hit bottom. And you could see. That's the, and you could see that's the path and that's the door that we came in. And you, you could see all of that. Uh, if this whole room were underground and we turned on one candle right in the center, lit one little candle, you could see. You'd be amazed at how well you could see. If this room were as big as the biggest stadium you've been in, and the only thing that was light in it was one little candle in the center of the 50-yard line, you could see it. And no matter how much darkness it appears is just pushing down and, and sitting there just ready to push that light out, when there's a light, it's pushing the darkness back. The, the darkness can't overcome it. No matter how much darkness fills up that whole stadium, that one little light pushes it back. Jesus is like that light. Not only did Jesus communicate who God is in his every act and everything that he said, but he's the one that gives light to everybody on the planet. And everyone who looks at him, who looks at his life, you can immediately see where you stand in relation to that. And you have insight on other people. And you don't know their hearts, but, but you can tell a little bit about where they stand. And there's no more blundering about in the dark, hoping that you're going to stumble on just the right way to live and roll the dice. I hope this works. When you know him. When you see him, when you, you get to, to know and listen to what he says and start applying that, you, you stay away from danger zones and you start going down paths that were made for you. You can see things clearly and know God with certainty and your imagination doesn't play tricks on you anymore. You don't have to be afraid of what's in the darkness no matter what darkness you're in, when the light comes, the 
darkness is pushed back. John said the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Back to the cave. When we turn on that one little light and the, and the darkness went, went away and the weight lifted. <laughs> You'd think that all the darkness, there's so much of it. I mean, hundreds of feet of it underground. But it could not overcome that little light. Now, John said this, and John was the one who saw darkness so overwhelming that I dare say you haven't seen darkness that overwhelming. He faced his own death. He, he, he saw the death of his friends and family. He saw his nation torn apart and scattered, and his nation was no more for nearly 2,000 years. Nero and Tiberius had both exerted all of the strength of Rome to roll through Israel, to wipe Christianity from the face of the earth. I don't know what darkness you're facing, but I know the light that can dispel it. Still, John said that even All that happened in this whole world, all that the world did to try and put out that light, it didn't put it out. And the reason that you and I are sitting here tonight is that light has never been snuffed out. He went on. The one who is the true light, Jesus, gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. And that's his allusion to the Christmas story. That's his allusion to the shepherds and the the young girl and and the fiancé and the stable. And This is God's Christmas gift to the world. This is God's Christmas gift to you. Is the light. He came to be God's gift. To you, even though this gift wasn't accepted by some people, it's, it's, he said he came into the very world he created, and the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Because believing in Jesus is much different, and it's more than believing something. About Jesus. To all who believed him. And, and that word, if, if you could read Greek, I know some of you can. That word believed was a brand new word. Nobody had ever, it's a compound word of a, of a Greek word that means belief and a preposition that means in. And it never been made a compound word before. John was the very first one to do it. He used it a few times, but in all the Greek writing that we have, it never appeared before John wrote it down here. Believing something about Jesus is one thing. 
But John was like, that's not what I want people to get. I don't want them just to believe some facts about him. I don't want them just to, to read this like a book and think of it like a story. There's a, when you believe in, I'm, I'm going to put those words together, and it's awkward and it's weird, but believing in is, is trusting in. It, it's putting your weight on something. It, it's actually trying it out. Putting all your eggs in the basket. Seeing if it works, and if it doesn't, you know, you don't know where you're going to be, but... But if Jesus, I'll try it, and you trust to do it, and you take his advice, and you follow his commands, and you let him in, and you let him reveal who he is. When you do that, you'll find that you have been given new life. Not physical life. Everybody who reads this already has physical life. But this is a new kind of life that begins right away. It, this is to all who believed him and accepted him, to all who trusted in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this new life, those who accept Jesus and believe in him, and, and they find that their relationship with God changes. I believed in God for a long time before I trusted in Jesus. I mean, it was a long time to me. It was my whole life. Even though I was a young man when I first trusted in Jesus. But when I trusted in Jesus, it changed. Something was different. My relationship with God was different. He, He was so much closer than he'd ever been. And he had personality. And he loved me. And and it was that he became a father to me. Not, I mean, in some ways, like my dad, you know, the the one that I lived with in Loganville, Georgia. But in some ways, very different. He wasn't wasn't angry. He wasn't a fairy tale. He wasn't distant. He was my father. And when you trust in him, he becomes... Your father. A father to you. And you. And you. The father that shows his unfailing love and faithfulness, John goes on to say. And he describes it like this. He says, those who trust in Jesus, they're reborn. Not with a physical birth. (laughs) He probably grinned when he wrote that. (laughs) Not with a physical birth. Resulting from human passion. Or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So I want to invite you. If you have never received, if you've never believed in Jesus, if you've known things about him, you've talked about him, you've even given the Sunday school answer, it's always Jesus, right? And you know that. You know things about him. But if you've never trusted in him, I just want to invite you. Tonight, Or if you've trusted in him, but you walked away. Maybe you walked away when you went to college and you took that class with that professor who had, who had bold statements and you didn't have answers. And you had questions now. You just found that you kind of drifted away. 
Or, or maybe you walked away when that thing happened. You know that thing. And if I knew your thing, if I, if I had experienced that thing, I might have walked away too. But it was enough that you walked away. And I want to invite you just to take a step, a small step, just a step back. Maybe you moved and, and you quit going to church. You intended to, but what, you know, one thing led to another and you hadn't been to church in a while. Maybe this is the first time in a while. I just want to invite you, take a small step. Take a small step of trust to believe in. Maybe you've stopped praying. Maybe you have a reason for that and maybe you don't. Maybe it just happened. I just want to invite you, take a small step. Tonight there's a light that is shining and you know right now where you are in relation to it. You know where you are. You know if you're far away. You know if you're close. And wherever you are, I invite you to take a step closer. Maybe start out with a simple prayer that says, Hey, God, it's me. It's been a while. It's a step. Then as you say what you need to say, come closer. Look at Jesus. Watch him. Listen to him. You'll find a deeper, richer relationship with your Heavenly Father than you ever knew was possible. It's his Christmas gift to you, maybe tonight. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your gift that you sent nearly 2,000 years ago. Thank you for giving your son. There are those maybe in the, in the room tonight, God, that are taking a step and it's a new beginning, something they've never done before. Lord, I pray that you would meet them as they're taking that step and trusting, maybe for the first time, and revealing who you are to them. There are those that may be returning, the ones that walked away, and maybe they had a good reason, God, you know, Maybe it just happened, but they're taking a step back right now. Lord, I pray that you'd meet them right there. And that you'd welcome them with open arms like a father. And maybe there are those who have been close to you, but Lord, they want to get closer tonight. They just want to come just more. Oh God, just more. Help me to trust you more. I believe. Help my unbelief. Oh, God, would you meet them there and reveal yourself and shine light there? You're a good God, and your gift is still true, and the light still shines. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have taken a step Small step. Nobody else knows it right now except you and God. But I just want to encourage you. Tell somebody before you go to bed tomorrow night. 
Tell somebody somehow, you know, I've taken a step. I've, I've turned on my trust a little bit. And just, just admit to somebody else that you're trusting. Send a text. Send a Facebook message. But let somebody know. He hears it loud and clear. Amen.